Previously on Star Wars Beyond the Films. Tone deaf Star Wars and that's not Leia! Fans of the Star Wars Princess Leia series advised. Enter at your own risk. A long time ago, in a galaxy far, far away, You're listening to Star Wars Beyond the Films, the official expanded universe podcast of StarWarsReport.com. There is a great disturbance in the force. That's right, Whistler. Welcome to episode 184 of Star Wars Beyond the Films, your Star Wars discussion podcast, your podcast of legends, your ticket to that galaxy far, far away. Our episodes broadcast on the Star Wars Report website's 2nd Airborne Division at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes can also be found on iTunes as well as Stitcher, and right on our own Twitter and Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Hey, but enough about how you got here, let's get this show started. I'm one of your hosts, the defender of the EU, the champion of the multiverse, the bipolar Star Wars fan, Mark Erleman. And with me, like a female Luke, the EU guru himself, the Count of Continuities, Mr. Nathan P. Butler! I'm not even sure how to respond to that. How would a female Luke act? Hopefully, a lot like actual Luke, and they wouldn't be using gender stereotypes. Aw, oh, but Uncle Owen, I was going to go down to Tashi Station and get some power converters. No, if it was stereotypes, it'd be I was going to go to the mall and pick up some shoes. <laughs> because they really do seem to be playing up some of the women must be mentally and emotionally all over the place stereotypes and women must be gossips things which really great on my soul in the series that we're talking about uh, as our opening said if you're a fan of the princess leia miniseries proceed with caution you're probably gonna be annoyed with us if you're not already from last episode Star Wars Beyond the Films, we ask the tough questions. Questions that have bothered you for a long time, or simple ones that have perplexed you off and on. You ponder about Star Wars and so do we. This episode, we continue our look at Star Wars Princess Leia, the Marvel comic miniseries penciled by Terry Dodson and written by Mark Wade. Now, consider that your spoiler warning, Beyonders and Sentience of All Ages, because here we go, on another adventure beyond the films. I think the general impressions to recap last time is that this is the weakest, by far, of any of the current Marvel Star Wars series. Its art is the weakest of any of the current Marvel series. It is a story that doesn't really get Leia done very well. Her emotions seem to be all over the place in many respects. Her characterization is all over the place in many respects. She acts more like a teenager than the more mature Leia that, of course, we saw within the films when both the actress and the character were around this same age. And so far... We've seen Leia taking on a mission with new friend and pilot, or becoming friend, frenemies. At one moment, they're despising each other, and then Leia's hugging her. Evan, Evan Verlaine, and R2-D2. And they now have a ship called the Lord Jun. They have gone to Naboo and picked up a group of Alderanian survivors, and now they're on their way to pick up even more orphan Alderanians. But 
Turns out that one of the musicians rescued on Naboo is now in contact with her sister, who turns out to be working with the Empire. So there is a spy aboard, sort of, an unwitting spy aboard, feeding information to the Empire, and at this point, they don't even know it. Which brings us to our opening crawl. Following the destruction of her home planet of Alderaan. You don't say Alderaan any other time, but if it's in the opening, it's Alderaan, right? You just gotta say it the way that... I don't remember what it was. Was it the little uh, read-along book that said Alderaan or something? Following the destruction of her home planet of Alderaan, Princess Leia Organa has set out across the galaxy in search of survivors. Leia and her crew, the pilot Evan and the faithful astromech R2-D2, have scored their first victory, rescuing a cloister of Alderanians from Naboo. Orbiting the fiery outer rim planet of Sullust, aboard their newly acquired ship, the Lord Jun... Yes, that's the ship, not the person. The person had a ship named the Lord Jun, which he gave to them. The team has just found another cluster of survivors. That's a cluster, not a cloister. Only these may not be as welcoming as the last. Unbeknownst to the crew, one of their own is feeding their every movement directly into Imperial hands. With the bounties adding up, it's only a matter of time before the Imperials catch up with Her Royal Highness. And I like the fact that each issue starts with an opening crawl. I would miss that if I was getting the trade paperbacks as we've talked about before. But I find it interesting that this issue kind of jumps ahead from where we left off in the last issue. All of a sudden, they're at Sullust. They found another cluster of survivors, and they might not be as welcoming as the last when we haven't met them or anything yet. I like and yet don't like that. I think actually in this issue's case, it works just fine. I think if you read this as a trade paperback, read it straight through or read it individually, it's just going to feel like a change of scene that happens just a little bit later. It's not jarring at all, but it is interesting that instead of showing them getting there and how do they you know, eventually make contact and blah, 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 they move ahead to give us the more relevant parts of the adventure. Um, it works in that sense, but I did find that an interesting, unusual approach. Almost makes you wonder if there was six issues at one point and they were like, you know, we can kind of pare this down a little bit and just do a jump forward in time. One of the editors goes, oh, my God, this sucks. Do we really need to waste six issues on this? <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, my negativity is coming out because I really didn't like the series. So we're above Sullust aboard the Lord Jun. And again, we see Tula and Tace talking. Tula being the one who's with the Empire Tace being the one who was the musician that they rescued. And now, at least, Tula is wearing a nondescript black bit of clothing so that it makes sense that when Tace is seeing her on the screen, she doesn't immediately go, oh, my sister's an Imperial. Because now you can't necessarily tell that by what she's wearing, whereas you could in the previous issue to a degree. And she's feeding the information that came from Tace directly to the Imperial officer known as Commander Dreed. And they insinuate this idea that... Dreed is not quite sure of Tula's loyalties here. Splendid work, Tula. I marvel at your capacity to manipulate your own sister, even as I steel myself against your betrayal to come. How can you say that, Commander? I've done everything you've asked. Indeed. You score very high on obedience, but rather low on loyalty. So you get that sense that maybe there's a betrayal coming, although it never does. But it, it plays well as to what's going on with her character. Because like I said when we saw that last panel with the stormtrooper there, you're like, is she being forced to do this or is she doing this on her own to try to get props from her superiors? And clearly her loyalty is on the line. So it, it makes for an interesting dynamic for her character. You know, you're like, is she trying to stay on the tried and true or is she just trying to save herself? You know, what is her motive at this point? 
This is why Leia will save you and be all nice and be your hero later and then be a dick to you for the rest of the series, Tula. Because of your loyalty questions that never really get resolved. That brings us to the Alderaan Enclave on Sullust, or in Sullust, it's in a cave system, where we meet Alderanian preserver Jorah Astain. Um, Astain, of course, I think being an, an Alderanian word that translates as asshole, because, boy, this lady is horrible. Just as, as a person, she's pretty horrible. And she's basically leading this, this group of Alderanians, and they're supposedly there to protect Alderanian culture and individual Alderanians, and yet Leia shows up, and they send out a rifle squad. I mean, she's like, oh, it's Leia. Who are these invaders trying to come inside? And this bothered me initially, but again, it takes me back to something I said in the previous episode, which is just how many people would have known she was a rebel. Up until the time of A New Hope, she was at least presumably considered, at least in the public eye, an imperial senator in good standing. And now here she is showing up here. It's not, does Jorah think that Leia betrayed the rebellion? I think this is more of just Jorah thinking, oh, here's that imperial senator. She must be on the Empire's side. That's why I don't like her. As, as much as I don't like Jorah as a character, her initial mistrust of Leia actually, I think, makes more sense than initially trusting her. Oh, absolutely. You know, that actually makes a lot more sense than what I was thinking when I first read through it. You know, it's interesting in that regard of, you know, the aspect of the Senate dissolving the bounty on her head. Like, I would be very, very interested to find out how, when they dissolved the Senate, how they went about it. Like I was saying in our last episode, you know, did they throw all the blame on the few senators that they knew of that were part of the rebellion or did they use it as an opportunity to, you know, wipe out as many senators as they wanted? I mean, there's an angle there that I would love to see played with. And this is kind of playing with that angle to a degree. That gives us then Leia and Evan walking through the tunnels, heading towards the Alderanian Enclave. Again, Evan wearing the typical it's Luke's attire, basically, from the Marvel series and basically from um, the end of A New Hope in the ceremony. Leia wearing clothing that's sort of like a cross between what she wore to some minor degree, color scheme-wise, at least, in A New Hope. And something more like, say, Padme would have worn in Attack of the Clones, for instance. And they're walking through the tunnels with a guy, the Celestin named Mr. Tivy. And it looks like, from my understanding here, Evan must have a good previous relationship, a working relationship with Celestins. Because you've got Mr. Tivy here that seems to be more of a friend of Evan who can speak the language than Leia. And then very quickly, as we get towards the next issue, we'll have Nine Numbs show up, of course, from Return of the Jedi. And it'll be Evan who's hugging him and, you know, like, hey, how you doing? So I find it interesting that Evan is given the characterization without having it be heavy-handed that she has this connection to the Sullistans. I like that aspect. That brings us, though further into the cave system where they finally get within close proximity of this enclave. And members from the enclave show up with blasters drawn under Jorah's orders. Hand over your weapons! And we've got Leia with Evan behind her, R2 in front of her, and Tivi in front of them. And they're several yards away, at least a few feet away from the people pulling the blasters on them. And all of a sudden we see as we turn to the next panel, Leia snatches a blaster out of one of their hands and then knocks him on his butt and then they wind up beating up the rest of them very quickly. I'm assuming that Leia has just gone full Neo or full Leto II from Children of Dune. Because somehow she just jumped halfway across the room and snatched that blaster away before she got herself shot. <laughs> yeah, there was quite a, a gap there. Although, 
when you stop and think about it, uh, when you look at the scene where she goes from the distance, the guy that she pulls the gun from is closest to the rest of them. But it makes you go, well, by the time she got to that guy and pulled the gun, the other two should have just shot her. Just flat out just blasted her right then and there. They had the guns. They were already trained. Although, if you look at his face, the way he's drawn in the panel where she grabs it from his hands, does it not look like he's making a derp face? Oh, absolutely. He's got that kind of thing going on. So, you know, it works. And I got to admit, the Preserver, when they first introduced the Preserver, they using that title and stuff. I honestly thought it was a dude at first. And then I'm like... Wait, is that a lady? And then eventually, oh, yeah, it is a lady. But at first she had like a the collector look from Guardians of the Galaxy after the end credits. I'm like, oh, what the heck? Anyway, so Leia enters the Enclave after whooping their butts. They are willing to take her in there. You know, I'll enter the compound with you, not as your prisoner, but as your princess. She comes in. Stop acting tough. It isn't working. Who's in charge of this sanitarium? And we get the line. And yet, Preserver Jorastain, as an Alderanian, you answer to me. Princess, period. Leia, period. Organa. And as they talk about what's going on here and how they're basically in this old smuggling dinner or working with smugglers and they're using all this, this high-level equipment to keep tabs on the planet and what's going on out there and everything, there's this tension between Leia and Jorah constantly about the need for survival and what that's going to take, what preserving it is going to take. And you get to a point where Evan says, you treat our traditions as disposable, our princess as a suspect, and as for the arts, I haven't seen a trace of anything artistic, just imperial-style paranoia, which is true. Senator, control your pet or my guards will. And we get Leia's line that I quoted in our last episode. Don't judge them too harshly, Evan. These frightened creatures are Alderanian to the core, fretting and hiding because they don't know how to fight. Isn't Leia supposed to be a diplomat? Because she's not only bashing her own culture, she's making an argument that doesn't really seem like it's going to win her any points there, and she's kind of being a bitch. Way to go, diplomat lady. I'm sorry, let me rewind. That's not Leia, to continue our theme from last time. Yeah. I like the angle, though, of they discovered that there's a traitor in their midst at this point. Like it's kind of like a shifting of the story at this point. Like we've got the hunt down the Alderanians. We've got Leia's grief. And now we've got the traitor in the midst that Leia now knows about. Sadly though, again, it starts to have that razor's edge feel. Basically what's happened is with all this, this heavy, basically spying equipment that the preserver has, they've managed to pick up a transmission, not three hours old, to the Lord Jun from an Imperial cruiser, the one where Tula called Tace back, basically. And this causes Jorah to immediately turn on Leia and Evan. You know, these are Imperials right here. Shoot them. Shoot to kill. And Leia and Evan have to basically run away. They jump from a very high place down onto the ground. But of course, in a comic book, in a video game, in a movie, as long as you jump down and land on another human being and crush them to the ground, don't worry, you're gonna be fine. And they run off and get to the transmission systems, basically, and order the Lord Jun to leave at light speed. But Parisi isn't willing to do that uh, at this point. An Imperial ship shows up, as expected. Dreed knows where they are. And the Imperials start attacking the base. So the Preserver's troops are going after the Imperials to protect themselves, but also still trying to chase after Leia and Evan 
who manage to only escape the room because R2-D2 comes up through a panel in the floor and they're able to escape down into this panel before it closes up again. But they're winding up in tunnels with these huge creatures called Rock Renders. And this is where we get in one of those instances of Leia's sort of self-defeating, depressive state, which, I'll give Mark the credit, this, this could very well be a reaction to the fact that she's grieving over Alderaan, hasn't had time to grieve, she hasn't given herself a chance to, so it's boiling over. I think it's just another instance of Leia's emotional state and characterization going all freaking over the place randomly within this series. But Evan notes here uh, about you know what's going to happen if the Alderanians that survive wind up being led by people like the Preserver. If our culture ends up in the hands of this lot, Leia answers, it won't. They'll be slaughtered soon, and we're stuck down here, powerless to stop it. Never seen you give up hope, ma'am. Hope led me to the Rebellion, and Alderaan paid for that. Now my hope has led the Empire here. I don't think the galaxy can survive much more hope from me. Now, on the one hand, I like the way that's written, and I think it's a very human sentiment to come from a character. Mm -hmm. I'm just not sure it necessarily fits Leia particularly well. Or Leia in context of the other instances we see of Leia in this series. If that was something in a story where Leia was consistently feeling like that, I would think that was a great scene. But fit here as a nice moving moment amid the chaos and inconsistency of everything else with Leia in this series, it just reminds me of the missed opportunity that Mark Wade had here to give us something like that, and instead we get the tone-deaf Star Wars that we got. See, I took that as, you know, I think it was more of the disappointment in her people in general. I mean, the fact that the Imperial cruisers showed up and immediately Jorah thought, you know, they're a traitor. That's huge. Like, you really truly think your own princess is who betrayed you guys to the Empire? Like, I could see how in that moment Leia would feel there is no hope left at this point. You know, like, trust these people. Who can I trust? But I still don't see that as necessarily what she's saying here. I mean, it's the idea that her hope is what drove them there, and now the Empire is going to kill even more people because they followed her there and such. I'm not sure that she's feeling that about them up above. That's like a whole different type of disgust that she would have with them, it seems to me. Evan tries to talk to her about it, and we get some somewhat friendly banter that I found kind of amusing. Ma'am, you know I'm not your biggest fan. Thank you, Evan. You always know what to say. <laughs> And she continues, you know, but don't blame yourself for et cetera, et cetera. But I did like the, thank you. You always know what to say. That's a nice quasi-colloquialism that was worked into the story that I think works very well. Unlike the, we'll see eventually, the hold up and we got this. And if they have to stop going wrong for two seconds that feel like they took sort of modern day phrases and shoehorned them in and it felt odd. And yes, if you just heard a sneeze, that was totally my cat sneezing. <laughs> There, I don't know. When we get to this point, like, I don't know. I get conflicted because, you know, the overall story here now, we it seems like there's only three locations. At this point, we get to the second one and they don't trust Leia. Like, I don't know. Like, the whole premise of what she's trying to do starts to break apart. Like, is this the moment where she's like, okay, well, we'll go one more after this and then we'll just call it a day? Because I, I really find it hard to believe that there are only three colonies of Alderanian people in the whole galaxy. That's it. They're all on these three oh, but no, no, locations. No. It's not that there's only three. It's that they're going to find a pat way to bring everybody else to them. Yeah, and that's where, and, and as we get to that, it's like you have all these things where you're like, is there some relevance to this? And then, yeah, it, it, it becomes a pat. Let's wrap this up. 
And, you know, I've talked about it on other episodes, about other comics, about other book series, about even TV series and games. Have a strong exit strategy. And I truly, I, I feel like what they wanted to do with this was, hey, you know, there's this thing going on right now. It's huge in fandom. It is the rise of the fangirl. This is their time. Let's give them something that is theirs. And it became, well, let's give them a Princess Leia series. And yet, by the time they go to deliver it, it feels like there was no plan besides having a comic series with Leia as the focus point for the fangirls. And... You know, I, correct me if I'm wrong, other fellow fangirls out there and fans in general, but doesn't this kind of feel like a slap in the face that there is no exit strategy here, that they're just going to wrap so much of this up and just kind of, it feels like you've got like plots for a good story and characters for a good story, settings for a good story, and then you just shuffle it together with no real idea of the direction of how the story is going to weave. I don't think it's very well done. I think it's fairly poorly done. I think the slap in the face is probably Leia's characterization more than anything else, but as we talked about in the last episode. But I would take it a step further. I wouldn't necessarily say that they probably went into this thinking, hey, let's just have a Leia series. They had a strong premise. Leia, overcome with grief, disobeying the orders of the leaders of the Rebellion who want her to stay safe, as now she's a visible target, going out to try to save as many Alderanians as she can and organize that type of effort. But it's like what happens a lot of times with writers. You get a cool idea, a fun story concept, and any writer will tell you that you look at the number of stories they've completed, there are multiple times out of stories that they've started because they had passion for it, a good idea, but then you get about partway through and then you're like, you know, I actually do have to finish this. I don't know where the hell I'm going with this. It was such a cool idea, but I haven't planned this stuff out. It's like an, an oh crap, this does have to have an actual finale. And in this case, oh crap, we've got to have this wrapped up in five issues and we're going to find that they just race through some concepts near the end. This would have made an interesting, perhaps, series of one-shots. Different instances of Leia helping other Alderanians, like the Alderanian Chronicles or something, they could then be weaved into something bigger. And hopefully this will be a series that has a jumping off point for more stories, maybe with Evan in them as the focal point. But yeah, there, there are instances where it seems like they're just sort of jumping ahead of themselves to some degree. So they go, they, they're down in the tunnels, R2-D2 runs off and somehow finds a little airspeeder looking thing maybe he's taking after anakin and attack of the clones and just stealing whatever vehicle is handy and he <laughs> uses it to draw one of these giant rock render creatures back towards leia and evan and they use that to draw it back into the cave where the stormtroopers are attacking the alderanians and it's ma'am i'm not sure about this aren't the beasts a danger to all of us they're rock renders not flesh eaters they can't resist the mouthful of dense minerals such as Stormtrooper armor. So apparently there's enough minerals in Stormtrooper armor to draw these big creatures to them, and Leia's basically having him go in and hopefully eat and kill the Stormtroopers, which winds up working. By the time Evan and Leia get back up there to help, the Stormtroopers have all been wiped out. It's even being reported back to Dreed up above. They've all been wiped out. And Jorah looks down at one of the dead Alderanians. Borne, so young. I'm sorry, Jorah, says Leia. Jorah turns at her with what looks like an angry or anguished look, points at Leia and says, Everyone, look! Take a good long look at this woman! And kneel before the princess of Alderaan. While I do like the idea that Leia saved the day and thus has proven that she cares for Alderanians, talk about a 
fast 180 for Jorah. That, to me, was not even remotely a believable change of heart. Was it to you? Oh, no. Yeah. I, I think that that's the angle that was really bothering me was that character. Like, the wishy-washiness, how quickly she was going to blame them, and then she's back on their side. And then, of course, what she does later, I'm just like, Ugh. but... I think, though, you need to have a character like that, like the Boris Feles, the Nominors, the ones that just get under your skin. And you're like, we just kill this person already. <laughs> that, well, she's a politician, right? She's a political leader. This is why <laughs> Obi-Wan wanted to give Anakin his delightful time with the politicians. We get an interesting interchange where Leia says, I'd be honored if you would join us on our mission. All of you. The honor is ours, says Jorah, of all people, presumably off panel. You came to us in good faith, and we repaid you with suspicion. We asked you to show us who we are again. On the contrary, Leia answers, if you would please be good enough to preserve a measure of your suspicion. It seems we have a spy to catch. Bum, 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 and issue three wraps up. On a nice cliffhanger, I must say. And I liked what Leia did there, because it's like, okay, you know, she's willing to be forgiving, she's willing to be open, and yet, at the same time, she's like, and you're not necessarily wrong. There is reason to suspect my group of people. So let's keep that up because we've got to find out who this is. I thought that was a nice direction. I liked what it did for Jorah's character. It allowed Jorah's character to kind of back off of being in the, you know, the the, the bagadouche kind of area that she was. Uh, you know, she, she had a little bit of uh, douchebaggerism kind of uh, coming with her that is parked for right now, but they'll pick it back up. And so it allows you to kind of like, okay, I've forgiven this character. Like she's not completely Boris Fela yet, you know? <laughs> so we move into issue number four. Yes, we have two to go. And the Mel Crawler, another ship is docked with the Lord Jun and it's the ship of nine. Num. <laughs> right? So nine Num is there an old friend of Evans and he is bearing gifts, lots and lots of guns. In this case, Leia gets a chance to hold up this enormous gun that looks like it should have a proton pack attached to it or something. Leia thanks him because apparently in between issues, it was Nine Num who helped get the other Alderanians off of Sullust. Some of them are on Leia's ship, but some of them aren't, apparently. So they've gotten off of Sullust at this point. She thanks him. There are no medals or anything that she can give him, but instead she gives him the Chalidoni waves that were owned by Bria Organa as, it's like a necklace type thing that's put over Nine Numb's neck. So she's sort of awarding him as best as she can, which I thought was a good touch. It's always cool to see, you know, Nine Numb finally show up in something. In walks Jora. Jora and her minions have discovered that Tace was the one putting out those communiques. Tace comes in, her hands are connected together. She's in binders, basically. This is Tace, your highness, our spy. We track the transmissions from the Empire right to a communicator device in her cabin. And Leia immediately goes into the I'm going to be snarky with Jorah thing. Remove her restraints at once. Ma'am, this snippy little thing deserves no consideration. She repaid your kindness with remove her restraints. And then they free her, leave us. And granted, it sort of makes sense that Leia wants to be the one calling the shots and that maybe Jorah overstepped her bounds. But this is, again, Leia, kind of the back and forth of the characterization of the character to a degree. The gall of that woman, painting me as a criminal. Kovis, you're my witness. You've been bowing and scraping to that woman all week. Make up your mind. Perhaps I have. Just, 
Everybody's wishy-washy. <laughs> well, okay, and you you know mentioned Nim Nub getting the the award or, or the the jewels. I like how she goes. You know, she's all these are not lean days for the throne. A precious medal would have been struck in your honor as it stands. I'm pleased to award you with the chalice waves from my late mother. Don't tell Chewie that you went out of your way to do this because you didn't give him crap at the Battle of Yavin or at the celebration when it was over. Like, you know, we only had to wait for Aliwan's despecialized edition for Chewie to actually get an award. You're going to give Nanub... I'm biting my tongue here. I am biting my tongue here. What the hell? Why are we racist to the Wookiee? Huh? Why does the Wookiee, he doesn't count for shit? What the hell? <laughs> so then we get Leia sitting down with Tace, and Leia apparently knows a degree about what exactly it is that's going on because she refers to an Imperial base being where the transmissions originated from, but she didn't get that information it, clearly. I mean, there's one about what, it's an Imperial ship transmission, and, and it's an Imperial transmission, but not necessarily a base that's being mentioned, but whatever. She's using the soft touch on Taze, right? You know, tell me what's going on. You don't sound like a traitor. Who were the calls from? Well, you know, those calls came from an Imperial base. Could your sister be an imposter? Maybe she's being held prisoner, etc., etc. And Leia starts to formulate this idea that Tula must not be working with the Empire voluntarily. She must somehow be under duress, and therefore... They need to figure out a way to get to her and hopefully somehow rescue her. They somehow need to bring Tula and Tace back together. She starts to formulate this. As she says, and I found this a great line because, of course, just like with Padme back in the last episode that we talked about, you made the comment that it's basically things that we know but the characters don't know. Leia says, how I envy you. It must be marvelous. Marvelous in boldface, so presumably it's because they're back with Marvel. Welcome home! It must be marvelous to have a sibling. Right? Because of course she's eventually going to find out that she has a sibling. You like that little bit of dialogue? I like that line. I I thought it was an interesting observation for her because I don't recall there being a lot of times in which we really got a sense of whether she actually had ever wanted siblings as a kid or not. Because of course in the Legends continuity, very early on we had the idea that Winter was around. So it was like she kind of had a surrogate sister anyway. So to have it turn out that Leia actually wished she had a sibling and then we'll find out that she has one, I thought that was kind of a cool touch. And I'd like to see that expanded on later, maybe how she realizes perhaps that thanks to Luke being there, her family's not all gone. She just didn't know it or something like that. See, and I I found it odd because like, you know, they're having the conversation about the sister. What do you talk about? Me, my music, what it's like on the ship. And she loves to know about you, ma'am, what planet you're going to, what adventure you're having. Tace, those calls originated from an Imperial base. They couldn't have. The Empire attacked us on Solson. They knew we were there. Could she be an imposter? Someone posing as your sister? I, I wouldn't know. Then perhaps Tula's going through this under duress as a prisoner? I would know, ma'am. She wouldn't have to tell me. We have a connection. And that's when she's like, how I envy you. It must be marvelous having a sibling. And I think the issue I have is that that's it for the conversation. Then we jump forward. I I feel like there should have been more there. Like Leia just leaving it like that felt really odd. Like I get the nod to having the sibling, but it just seemed like, you know, she went from prying and and trying to get all this information to, oh, how wonderful it must be to have a sibling. And then we just jump forward and, and that just seemed really odd to me because then the next part, it's her going, I believe Tace. She's innocent. Ma'am, 
you're making a grave. I listened to her, Jorah. You didn't, you know, and it just seemed really like, I felt like there was more happening there. Like that. They just decided to cut off there. It, it kind of felt like when we're watching, uh, the fifth Fast and the Furious movie and Dominic and Brian go out to go race for pink slips to get new cars and they go out to do the race. And then all of a sudden they're showing up with the cars and you're like, wait, this is Fast and Furious. You're not going to show me the race scene. What? Like, I felt like something was missing after that. Like there was like a whole chapter or something gone. Like, I don't know. For me, that really, that moment struck me as odd where, which I find funny that you really enjoyed it. For me, it was an odd moment where I was like, wait, what? Like something's missing. Well, speaking of missing, Leia is going to be missing from their next location. They're going to the planet Esperion, where there's also a significant number of Alderanians. It's a heavily militarized planet that's open to refugees and wonders. But Leia's going to send Parisi, the manager of the musical group that was the first group that they managed to get in contact with, and Jorah Astain as the co-emissary. Oh, this is going to go well, we can already tell. Because Leia's got a plan to help Tula. She goes to Tace and basically asks, you know, hey, when Tula calls tonight, I want you to act naturally. We'll talk about what you should say. Do you think you can do that, right? If she's the Imperial prisoner, Leia was a prisoner, Leia's free, they're going to help the sister. Lie to my sister? That should have been a red flag that this is not going to go well. So we jump to Asperion, where the diplomatic mission is already beginning, and Jorah and Parisi meet briefly with... Consul there, Consul Rill, who's there. He is a, a native of Asperion, presumably. He is pink-skinned, decidedly humanoid, but not human. And he introduces them to the Alderanian chief of the Alderanian refugees who are there, a guy named Bion Bionel, which is like saying John Johnston or Mike Michelson or something like that. And it turns out that this guy has basically blonde hair, blonde goatee, but... His skin is pink. His skin is reddish. He is essentially a half-breed, right? He's a mixed-race individual. He has some Esperion DNA, some Alderanian DNA. Think of it this way. What if an Alderanian had sex with Sinestro? <laughs> That's basically what he is, because all the, the natives kind of look Sinestro-ish, or at least all these mixed-blood uh, Alderanians look kind of sinestro Ish. Well, I like how the emissary, he, when he introduces Bayon, he calls him the Alder Esperian chief. Like, yes. it's got a dash, like, oh, okay. Alder Esperian, it's like saying African-American, Hispanic-American, Asian-American, and so forth. Though you gotta wonder, if you go to a different planet, do they think of it that way, if that same species of person or, or a mixed blood group is living there? Kind of like how people say, well, what this guy was, he's an, he's an African-American Frenchman. No. African Frenchman, maybe? Black Frenchman? <laughs> Where's the American fit if the person's from France? Well, the thing I like about this, though, is, okay, yeah, it's a touchy subject. It touches on the race factor. <laughs> you think? But but it's interesting because before Jorah even has a chance to say anything, it's Rayon that starts in on it. Like, the first thing he says is, I might have known. And then he goes on to continue and he's looking at Jorah who's got her arms folded and yeah she's kind of looking down and has an angry type expression but the other girl's like I'm sorry and he goes and he's pointing at Jorah look at this one Rill unable to conceal her bigoted disgust she obviously didn't come all this way to recruit half Alderanians like you almost feel like he's race baiting her well, no, what, cause, but she's got that the shocked look on her face as we say meet beyond Benel and you can see Jorah's face is like what 
her jaw is just totally dropped in that frame. And then she goes into the crossed arms thing that, you know, I might have known. I'm calling Al Sharpton, you bitch. <laughs> um, and I, I like how Parisi doesn't even see. It. She's like, I'm sorry? <laughs> like, it's not, I'm sorry. It's, and she's apologizing. It's, wait, what? I'm sorry? What, what are you talking about? Right? Uh, please, yeah. Chief BNL, uh, nothing could be further. And of course, George just keeps right on going, as most racists do. Our world is dead, sir. All we have left is our identity. Don't ask me to celebrate its delusion. And you just expect Priestley going, oh, sh**. <laughs> oh, sh**. I can't like, believe it. Just shut up. Just shut up. Just, sh just zip it. Please zip it. <laughs> zip, 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 zip. <laughs> and I like, she's like, she sticks both hands out both directions. Hold on. George doesn't speak for all of us. And then, of course, you know, he's like, how many does she speak for? And why would we put up with them? Like, like his anger at her, like clearly, like I, I look at it like the two angles here. Like, you know, while she's definitely racist, he's also got some bigotry towards people of her nature, which rightfully so, I'm sure. But I don't know. Like, I, like I feel bad for the girl caught in the middle because she's just like, what? this is de-escalating really <laughs> yes. fast. I mean, it's, it's the whole thing of, is it being intolerant to be intolerant of intolerance, right? I mean, that's kind of what's happening here. You've got a character who's racist and one who, who isn't going to put up with the racism walking away. Does that make him a, an intolerant person or a bad guy too? Well, not necessarily in this case, but I mean, Jorah isn't even trying to hide the racism. Like, I was expecting that she would continue, but it would be small things once the, re the revelation comes out that she's got this attitude. Like, well, you know, I'm not racist against African-Americans. It's just that when I see some of them walking toward me down the street, I switch sides of the street. I, that doesn't make me racist. I just feel safer that way. Yes, it does make you racist! <laughs> it may be, what, what was the line from uh, uh, Louis C.K.? You're mildly racist. Or something like that. But it's still racism. <laughs> and here you've got, this is flat out racist. And it really makes me wonder when this was written because of how race as an issue in the U.S., I don't think there's many who would argue that race relations are better now than they were, say, five years ago or 10 years ago. We sort of had that shining moment of, wow, we've come together and Americans of all races, at least on the Democrat side, all races voted in an African-American president. And only that, but it's a guy named Barack Hussein Obama. You asked Thomas Jefferson, do you ever think there was going to be a president named Barack Hussein Obama? He would have said, what? Probably, because none of it sounds typically white American, which is the point, right? Why it's, it's the whole thing was such a big deal. But then after that, it seems like things kind of simmered down and you see situations like the Confederate flag thing, which, you know, the Confederate flag itself didn't actually kill anyone. It was one of the things that was seen with a guy who did kill, but he also was seen with other flags and burning the American flag and whatnot. And then you got things like the situation with Trayvon Martin or the situation uh, with Michael Brown. And it's just like constantly... In modern American society, every few months, there is something else that happens that shows how much of a racial divide there still is, if not in the country as a whole, but in some parts of the country, and how much work there still is to be done. It has become a very touchy issue. And given that it's being hit on here, again, use science fiction in a non-Earth context to explore an issue that is relevant to us, to give us perspectives on an issue that is relevant to us in a way that's not offensive because, hey, these are space people. They're doing that here, and I wonder if that was something that was actually inspired by recent U.S. events, if it was just something completely out of nowhere that Mark Way just came up with on his own without any kind of context to it, 
or what? It'd be great to get a sense of when were these issues being plotted initially or um, pitched initially before even the plotting started in relation to some of the goings on in U.S. news the last few years. Yeah, it's it's interesting. I like it. I think this is probably the most interesting angle of the story at this point for me, you know, and the fact that there were, you know, the other cultures that the Alderanians ended up going to and the fact that they were. I mean, you almost wonder, like, if they were on Solst, you know, would we have had some interbreeding going on there if it was possible? Or was this just considered the radical group of Alderanians? And I mean, because that's kind of where I felt like. Balin was coming from you know like he was already being used to subjugation and, and being told he was less than what it means to be Alderanian from a while so it was a cool interesting angle to see them playing that up I guess I'm surprised because like I said at the beginning that it seemed like it was the even numbers that the art really fails but overall I mean when I'm looking back on it now it's it's while those ones seem to be the ones that have the more of the panels where it falls apart I'm actually okay with the art Overall, it's just the few panels where from a distance, all the detail disappears when it's in the up close and stuff. It looks really good. It's the distance of. And then there's also a couple panels like on the Imperial base where the block is in red. And I'm not sure why that is, because in some of the issues of some of the other Marvel ones, like the Darth Vader one and the Star Wars ongoing one, when they do that, it was a flashback. But that's not the case here, but it's like the third time and it's all been in Imperial locations where they do that, where the one is bordered in red. And I don't really understand what the significance is of that or if that's supposed to draw us in to the aspect of that character, the Alderanian girl that works for the Empire is not doing it because she wants to help the Empire, but is doing it because she has no choice because it seems like the no choice angle or what's in those red, like maybe that's what they're trying to focus on at that moment. Like I, it seems like there's some silent communication going on with the border of the box that I'm not really sure what's up in this case. Whereas like in the Darth Vader one and stuff, it was clear. Oh, this is a flashback. I'm not sure what's going on to this. The, the most I can think of is this is the bright light to kind of make you focus on this panel more than the rest. I'm not sure. Yeah, I have no idea unless it's just, I thought it was just to help set up that since the backgrounds were colored so similarly that this actually is a different panel. But they could have done that in any number of ways, even just giving more of the uh, the white gutter to it, I think is what it's called. So, Tace contacts Tula and completely and utterly botches it. They're barely into the conversation where it's like, I'm sorry, I never meant to get you into trouble. And you, you can just, you can see Leia's face. She has that look of, oh, it's like she's hurting for Tace that Tace is having to do this and is failing and what Tace must be going through, but you can expect everybody else to be like face coming, going, oh, crap. We knew this wasn't going to work. This is a wily e. Coyote trap is what this was. So, Dreed, while Tula is still on the comm, has her arrested and says, Gods, process the girl for detention. I'll decide how to dispose of her later. Hello? Do you understand what you've done to your beloved sister? And the realization for Tace is that she basically just got her little beloved sister killed. And Leia steps in. She wants to maybe trade for Tula. What do you want, Commander? Name your price. Well, in that case, I suppose you would do. And we have this prisoner exchange story that now we're getting into. So we see Leia. She's putting on basically her clothes from A New Hope. She's putting her hair up in the buns and everything as well. And there's a conversation going on with... Evan. And Evan is, is hating this idea. How could you? I had no choice. I've got to show that I'm willing to sacrifice myself for the least of us. Alderaan has billions of martyrs. Do you really think we need another? Evan, if you'd seen Tace's expression, 
What about all the other people whose lives you've disrupted? They're counting on you to do what? Get them killed? This again. Blaming yourself for Alderaan. Would Tarkin have destroyed it if I hadn't joined the Rebellion? Yes! Because he hated beauty and art and peace and everything we stood for. For once, it wasn't about the princess. I'm sorry. That was harsher than I intended. You blame yourself for the same reason you want to make this insane sacrifice. Your noble heart. Why, Evan, it's almost as if you're beginning to approve of me. I don't know what I would do without your guidance. Then let me tell you. Couple things about this scene, though. One, this argument of, it wasn't about the princess. Tarkin would have blown us up anyway. Yeah, maybe? But I've seen A New Hope. I'm not sure if Mark Wade has, with Leia's <laughs> characterization. But I've seen A New Hope. And the whole point of going after Alderaan was because maybe Leia would respond to an alternative form of persuasion. They went to her homeworld so they could use the threat of blowing it up to get her to divulge information. The whole point was, it's your homeworld we're about to blow up. And then he blew it up anyway. Now, did he blow it up anyway because he was callous and he hated beauty and art and peace, etc., etc.? Maybe. But did he pick that target and take the Death Star to it because of Leia? Yes! Yes, he did. Your yeah. argument, Evan, is invalid. Two, speaking of invalid arguments, Leia has no choice. She's got to show that she's willing to sacrifice herself for the least of us. Nice biblical reference there, the least of these. That's lovely and all, but that's not what she's going to do. You'd see at the end of this, the, let me tell you. What would I do without you? Let me tell you. Leia is giving Evan the plan to immediately rescue her before she's even fully in Imperial custody that we see play out in issue number five. So where is Leia willing to sacrifice herself? Answer? Nowhere! She's not. She's putting herself in danger for Tula. That's not a sacrifice of herself. That's putting herself in danger. The sacrifice makes it sound like we're supposed to believe she's really just trading herself into Imperial custody. That's not how it winds up playing out. So you got two instances here of, excuse me, your argument is invalid. Well, I think that that's because of the unknown, though. I mean, you know, just the risk in general. I think that that qualifies. I, I, I think, you know, yeah, in the end it worked out, but had it not, it would have been a sacrifice. You know, that's an angle that I enjoy watching play out. It's funny because at this point you're seeing Evan kind of start to warm up to Leia more. Like, you know, we're not willing to let you go. Uh, but I think the Tarkin angle, I think I think you're right. I think Tarkin totally used Leia as the reason. But I think what Evan's saying is, is while that may have happened, Tarkin was the type of person that would have done it eventually anyway. And on that regard, I don't necessarily think she's wrong. I could see Tarkin using Alderaan as an example for the whole galaxy at large, not just because Leia was there, but I think also Tarkin used the fact that it was Leia to draw that conclusion to make her take the blame. But I could see Tarkin easily have gone to have done it either way. Um, but Grant, yeah, in episode four, that was clearly why he was doing it. But I think she's just pointing out that for Leia, there were more things going on than Leia was aware of. And I, I think it is well within the realm of Tarkin's character that he could have done it anyway what she's trying to say i think she's basically trying to, to pull the vergere with jason of you know you have to choose an act you can't sit here and worry about what the dark side may or may not do you're you're becoming you know to the point where you're not going to do anything or you're making all the wrong choices because of your fears you know and, and i think that that's kind of where she's coming from is you know you need to let go of the feeling of responsibility for this and move beyond that and make choices and then of course leia's like well you know i've already made some choices here here they are 
Well, yeah, the argument that she's making in that sense makes sense, but the part about Alderaan itself and it not being destroyed in part because of Leia is bunk. It's bull. At least not at the instance in which it was destroyed. You don't think that if it was Luke standing there in Leia's place, Luke was the rebel leader, that they wouldn't have gone to Tatooine to blow it up? Or if it was Mon Mothma that was captured, they wouldn't have gone after Chandrilla to blow it up? Of course they would have. He chose Alderaan because Leia needed an alternative form of persuasion. But I think it works twofold because like, okay, so let's use Luke as the example. I mean, if it was Luke and he went to go and blow up Tatooine, yeah, that works for Luke, but Tarkin's the type that wants to send two messages. You know, he doesn't want to just send a message to Luke. He also wants to send a message to the galaxy. You know, the Empire's here and they're not messing around. Tatooine doesn't seem like a place that many people are going to care about if it gets wiped out. Alderaan, on the other hand, it's in the core. It is a world that's a prosperous world. It is a peaceful world. And it's a pillar of society. Tatooine's none of these things. So, you know, hitting Tatooine doesn't have that double whammy effect that killing Alderaan did for Tarkin. Well, that's the angle of Tarkin where I see him as Thrawn-like, you know, like, like one bird to kill two stones. But Tatooine would have been a way to say, see, you stand up against us like lawbreakers, like all the smugglers that use Tatooine, or Jabba, we're going to blow you up. Whereas with Alderaan, what was it saying? Alderaan is peaceful. We have no weapons. We couldn't possibly as Leia says here about how they were just fretting because they didn't know how to fight. So basically the Empire said, oh yeah? I'm going to show you how tough I am. To show you how tough I am, I'm not going to just go and beat up the big bully. I'm going to go as the adult male biker dude, and I'm going to punch a three-year-old girl in the face. <laughs> Aren't I badass? <laughs> well, it almost seems like when Tarkin was in Rebels, and to stop the rebels from doing what they were doing, he was willing to take out their own communications tower, leave them basically crippled for quite a while. You know, and that was kind of what I was seeing, too, was like, you know, I, I have no problem wiping out this planet that's in the core world to send an additional message to everyone else. You know, the Death Star's here. The Senate's gone. We have full power. You know, your rebellion is powerless to stand in it. But, yeah, I mean. I, uh, clearly, I, I'm trying to be the apologist here. <laughs> we missed a part in the Tarkin novel where his first ex-wife is from Alderaan. <laughs> That's what it was. It was a, I'm done with them. Boom. So anyway, so Leia's going to sacrifice herself by not actually sacrificing herself, but we don't know that at this point. And we're back to the Leia's going to be snarky with everyone mode now. Because as she's walking out, it's, Your Highness, are you sure you want to go through with... Mr. Kobus, I'm not going to keep explaining myself to everyone. If you're with me, come along. If not... Yes, ma'am. Sorry, ma'am. I'm pretty sure the end of her sentence was, Fuck you! <laughs> I'm like, I'm sorry. Leia, I, ugh, she's all over the place. So then, Leia you know, gives some information to R2-D2 and said, Take good care of Evan, will you? I'll see you on the other side. Hear that? Other side. The princess expects to die. And go to droid heaven. Hey, funny <laughs> moment with the droid heaven thing, but again, see you on the other side. Ugh. It's, it's a colloquialism, and it seems odd with what we know by the issue 5 is Leia's plan. It works when you're reading this for the first time. Doing a reread, knowing what's coming, a lot of this couple of scenes here just doesn't jive exactly right. It, it grates a little bit, or it feels out of sync, for lack of a better term. I do admit, though, that when she has that moment where she says, I'll see you on the other side, I like that it's the classic Leia, help me, Obi-Wan Kenobi, you're my only hope. The end part of that recording, like... Completely mimicked it. It had to have been on purpose. I like it. I, I gotta admit, I'm a fan for that. So, we jump back very quickly to Asperion, and on Asperion, basically, Parisi is trying very hard to clean up Jorah's mess, and, yeah, 
It's not working. Dora's ready to just leave and admit that they failed. Parisi is promising that, yes, Leia will show up, which has us going, uh-oh, but if she's in Imperial custody, what are they gonna do? We jump back to Leia. She's taking off uh, in the smaller ship that they have to go down to the surface of the planet Skaradosh, we find out is the name of it later, to turn herself into the Imperials. And as she's on her way, we have Tace speaking through the communicator. I don't know what I want anymore, ma'am. Of course you do. You want Tula. But I can't lose you. You've done more for me in one day than she did in our whole taste. You need your own strength in this life, your own purpose. You can't simply live for others. Ha! Says Kobus. Sorry, ma'am. That was my thought. Ha! Because that's exactly what you're doing, Leia. Hypocrite. <laughs> uh, you know, another little bit of dialogue that I actually I loved was when uh, Ua and them are talking. You had mentioned it just a second ago. And it's what? The alien says, the consul himself, he uh, he's sitting there, he's eating, and they're talking, and she's like, Consul, please, we're trying to forge our own destiny after losing a world for that effort to be undermined by a misunderstanding. There was no misunderstanding, Ua. Chief Banal saw what he saw, and he made his choice. And then, of course, Jarl is all, convey my deepest apologies then, if that's what it's going to take. And he's like, eating with chopsticks, I won't lie for you. Don't ask me again and i mean clearly you know that issue that racist issue with this lady you know her pretending like that they, they i love the fact that the dialogue even drips the i don't even the disdain like I, I i've gone out of my way to be as anti-racist as i could be so it's weird to understand what she's oozing but it clearly comes across in the dialogue from him where he's like i won't lie for you you know, like I'm, I'm seeing right through. You'll, you'll say whatever you want at this point to get what you want. And I see right through it. I love that little bit of dialogue. Yes. It's not that this lady Jorah here in our presence thinks that our race is inferior. She just thinks that hers is superior. Of course, that's all it is. Racist. <laughs> so we jump back and we find that we see Leia land on the planet of Skaradosh and on the planet is also a Lambda-class shuttle that has brought Dreed and some stormtroopers. Leia turns herself over to Dreed and, like, just walks into his custody, basically. And he hands over Tula. Yeah, she walks by, she says, Your Highness, thank... Do better, Tula. That will be my thanks. We're gonna find that there's a lot of nastiness coming Tula's way in the future. And Leia is brought into custody. And meanwhile... That, that's our big cliffhanger. I still don't understand you, but I intend to take you apart until I do. For the moment, though, I will simply savor the history we've made today. Leia Organa is back in Imperial custody, without a prayer of rescue. That's a cliffhanger, but of course we know Leia's going to get out of it, of course. But I find it interesting that we also have a moment that has another head-smacking, you're so stupid, kind of moment going on. But over Asperion, we see the Lord Jun picking something up, sir, heading this way. Don't say something, what's it look like? I don't know, a meteor shower or... A lot of ships and tons of generic ships emerge from hyperspace by the Lord Jun. And we will find that these are ships full of Alderanians, that they appear in hyperspace around Lord Jun. And there's that question of, well, who are these people? Good guys, bad guys? Who is it that just showed up over Asperion? Is this a fleet that the Asperion's called to fight them? Like, what the heck is going on? But I got to sit back and think about these pilots. These must be like the second stringers, right? Because Evan's not up there piloting, so they just grabbed whoever could possibly fly it, threw them up there. Because these ships are coming out of hyperspace. Meteor showers don't go through hyperspace. How are they not <laughs> able to tell the difference? Yeah, clearly it has to be one over the other. <laughs> there, there. I mean, I started counting, but there's close to about 40 
ships coming in here. You know, it's really hard to tell. Some of them are so small. But I don't know. That was the odd part for me was like, okay, a lot doesn't get explained here. You know, did these guys all get a message? Uh, you know, were they all together already? Uh, were you know, did another Alderanian have the same idea and was gathering all the villages and stuff from the other end of the galaxy and they've all worked their way here? Like, it was just really odd them showing up. And I guess that's the angle of let's just sweep it all under the rug here. The no exit strategy angle. This is when it starts to like, I don't know about this. Like, how convenient. <laughs> I've got a bad feeling about this. <laughs> yeah. Right. Well, and it's interesting because we jump into the next issue. And the first two paragraphs of the opening crawl are good at recapping what's going on. But then the last paragraph says, The princess agrees to turn herself into the Empire and their Star Destroyer in exchange for Tula's safe return. Now, on the surface of Skarodosh, Leia's allies prepare a daring final rescue. We're like, wait, they are? Son of a bitch! You just spoiled your own issue! There was nothing leading us to believe there was going to be a rescue attempt back in the previous issue. Wasn't Leia sacrificing herself for the least of them? Yeah, that's another one of those cases where, you know, the, the opening crawl can make or break the story for you. <laughs> so we see Jorah and Parisi basically leaving Asperion. They try to catch Beyond as he's on his way, but they're like, yeah, I can't imagine I'm interested in anything the princess has to say after what's going on. Goodbye. And they're expected to just leave. We jump back to Saridos or Scarados. There's a K in there, excuse me. And before Leia can be brought into the ramp, I guess, onto the ramp and then up into the Lambda-class shuttle that's sitting there, in comes Nine-Num ship, zoom, zooming in, the door opens, and there's Evan with one of those heavy blasters we saw earlier that has to be hooked up to a power pack type thing to be able to be used, and she's just blowing them away. Leia jumps around, grabs an Imperial Blaster, shoots some of the Stormtroopers, gets back aboard the ship, and they are out of there. Nine-Num essentially saving the day, R2-D2 helping along the way. And it's interesting because they get back to you planned this? I could have been killed! Day's not over yet, kid, says Evan to Tula. This is where I was like, oh, she really wasn't sacrificing herself. When I read this month to month, I didn't remember the dialogue about the sacrifice and all that. So this sound, this felt rather quick, but it worked. She, of course she's not going to turn herself actually over without a rescue plan. Of course they're going to try to save her. It just happened very quickly, quicker than I thought that it would. But with Leia's comments about sacrifice, it really did seem odd to me, the way this worked. But, of course, we've already talked about that, so it's okay. See, the sacrifice angle, I, I like it because that is an angle of Leia that I think they should play up a little bit. Like... I think that that's part of what makes her a really good leader is that she's willing to sacrifice for the little ones. She's, you know, she's focuses on the big picture to that extent where it's not just the bigger events, but it's also the little people, you know, you can't sacrifice one without the other kind of thing. What I like though, too, about, about when she shows up and, and she, in this case is Evan, you know, in the ship, I didn't catch that that gun was actually attached to that, that pack until you pointed that out just now. And it's really, it, it surprises me because it's like, is that gun supposed to be on a tripod then? Like the ones that the snow troopers use, like when they, they show up on Hoth, like, cause you clearly aren't going to be walking around. I mean, that thing looks like a canister vacuum that, that would be. Yes, it's, like, it's, it's like my vacuum cleaner. If I detach the, I got one of those vacuum cleaners that you can like change into different modes to do things. So you don't have to like own like a little dust bust or anything with it. I can totally transform my vacuum cleaner to look like that. It's so sweet. 
now, <laughs> that's, that's the odd thing. I was just like, wow, like that would be a real pain in the ass in battle. Like you lose your position, kiss that gun goodbye. No, like, no, 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 no. It wouldn't be a pain in the ass in battle. You got to go with the vacuum cleaner thing and say it would suck in battle. <laughs> oh. So they get on a nine numb ship and Leia says, Thank you, Nine. Only you could have smuggled an entire rescue craft under the Empire's noses. And then we very quickly jump to the Imperial ship where they say, Sir, Commander Dreed is dead. Attacked from the air. Impossible. No ship could have gotten by us undetected. That is all we will know of how the heck Nine Numb managed to get by the Imperials. They just write it off as nobody could have. Well, Nine could have. Okay. And we move on. Yeah. Well, that's Nine in general, though. I mean, like, his showing up, his smuggling them off the first time. Smug it's like... The best way to tell this is to, I mean, the smugglers are basically the men of letters in Supernatural. You know, it's like the first few seasons, like the less you showed, the scarier it was. In this case, the less you show, the better a smuggler he is. Now, Tula, for her part, isn't happy about being rescued. She should be. And you would think that if Leia was doing this for the least of them, that she would at least have some measure of, you know, uh, calmness, kindness for Tula that she just rescued. I demand to know where you're taking me. And Leia says... Sit down, shut up, and don't think for a moment your troubles are over, you little traitor. Damn! Yeah, I that was you. a dialogue there. And I even liked when Evan was like, for now, like, the day's still young, you could still die. Like, I like the impression there, like, you didn't know if necessarily it was like the Empire was going to get us before we get away, or I may just shoot you myself. It's like, we didn't save you because we were trying to get you back for your sister. We saved you because we want to torture you ourselves. Don't you understand that? Duh. I saved you because I made a vow to save every Alderanian I could. And I know full well what the Empire would have done once you'd failed them. Don't make me regret it. So again, it's kind of like basically saying, look, I hate you and everything you stand for, but we happen to share the same genetic background or the same uh, cultural heritage. So I'll help you anyway. Wow. That's just... that's. I don't know. Again, it seems somewhat out of character for Leia. She sticks to her word, but she's overly harsh, whereas other times she's wishy-washy back and forth. But again, I'm beating a dead horse somewhere out there. There's a dead horse that's getting more and more bruises on it, thanks to me. Or can you get bruised when you're dead? I don't know. I don't care. Um, See, I think from this point forward, like, Leia starts to become more recognizable to me. Like, yes, the thing she's yes. saying and stuff like that. Yeah, she starts to become Leia again by the end. She was Leia at the beginning to a degree. She's Leia at the end. She's not Leia really in the middle. We do find, though, that the Star Destroyer that's up there, commanded by someone else now because Dreed is dead, they think because of this little drone that they shoot out that winds up getting destroyed, that they think that Nine-Num's ship has been destroyed, that Leia is dead. And they hear about all these different ships gathering around a planet nearby, Asperian, and decide to go and kill a few more today. Kill a few more uh, uh, Alderanian dregs today by going to Asperian. And this is the point where I say, dude, call for backup. Why don't you call for backup? With Dreed, it made sense that he didn't call for backup because Dreed's got that line about how he's going to show this empire how to fight. Like, he's very arrogant. He wants to show the empire something about combat because he thinks he knows best. But he's dead now. You would think this guy would be like, well, there's a whole bunch of ships. Granted, I've got a Star Destroyer, but if any of them are armed, it might be difficult. And Asperion is supposedly this heavily armed planet, as they emphasize later. Maybe he should call some other Imperials. Instead, he's easy pickings when he does show up because he doesn't call for any reinforcements. Yeah, that was a total botch on his... I mean, granted, maybe he was still in that Legends mentality where the Alderanians had no weapons on their ships. Wah, wah, wah. 
Yes, because they're all hiding in their holes, not knowing how to fight, according to Leia or whatever it was she said. So they get to a spear and it's like, fortunately, our caravan is small and nimble enough to get far away from... And they finally show up and all those ships are there. Blast! Yeah, there, there are definitely some swear words going through Leia's head at that moment. Why is the area suddenly filled with targets? They get a transmission from the Lord Jun. Your Highness, status report. Ma'am, it's wonderful. Many thousands of Alderanian survivors got word of your mission to unite us all. They've joined us, ma'am. This is all you're doing, ma'am. Congratulations. Ma'am, they've been waiting for your return. Do you have a message we can pass on? And Leia says, just tell them, tell them, battle stations. And as cool as the idea is that Leia's able to help so many, this is where I was like, this is a pat ending. Leia's supposed to be on this grand mission to gather all these Alderanian survivors. They make it to, what? They're on their third planet, and all of a sudden, it's, everybody, come on down! How does she manage to save more? Well, because they come to her, and she can lead them all in one giant caravan. Granted, it's better for Leia to get back to the Rebellion, so it makes sense that they would do this as this pat ending that gives her a chance to get back instead of continuing this search. But, boy, that is a pat ending to just say, see all these ships? Oh, they just heard about you and decided to show up. They're just going to join you. You don't got to go find them. It's all good. Well, there's no one. I mean, who who told, you know, how did the message get out through the fleet? Like, how did everyone find this message since well, only Dodonna got it in the first place? Well, maybe it got around. Because remember, Evan said that, that there's rumors going, or there's stories going around for them, from the rebel pilots that the Empire is rounding up and killing all Alderanians, something that supposedly only Dodonna had heard about at the time. And that was, what, the day after or the night of the Battle of Yavin? And somehow they're already getting word of this type of thing going on. The rumor mill, apparently, the power of gossip is strong <laughs> in this Star Wars arc. Because, hey, gossip is what winds up getting Evan to link up with Leia in the first place. Could be. I think for me, the, the part about the powerful dialogue from Leia that's lost on me, like, I like the battle stations line. I don't like that she says, tell them twice. Because that implies that she's kind of thinking it up on the spot where... I, you know, when I first looked at it, I only saw the just tell them battle stations. Like, I didn't catch that it was the, just tell them, tell them battle stations. Whereas when I first read it, I was like, just tell them battle stations kind of thing. Like, I thought it was a break of the radio. And I was like, you know, again, it's that shoot Darth Vader. You do it, Chewie. I don't care. Like, like I, I saw her, you know, yeah, it was a pat ending in the aspect of all of them coming together. But I saw her seizing that opportunity. And then when I reread it, I was like. Wait, no, she's she's just recovering from the situation. Okay. It was interesting how in my mind it felt like two different scenes based off of how that one bubble was read. That brings us to the reunion here where Jorah and Parisi and Leia and Evan and R2-D2 are standing around trying to figure out what to do now. And they're hoping to be able to get contact from beyond Banel because Espiron is apparently a heavily armed world to get their fleet. Uh, to get them to kind of show up as a cavalry and save the day to protect the Alderanians as they try to either make a stand or escape. And it turns out, yeah, they're not going to consider any help because of what happened down there. And Jorah explains, I suppose it's down to me, ma'am. You think? They've intermingled with the natives. The sight of our world's descendants with alien features. Well, I wasn't at all prepared for... And Leia gives her just this, this scathing look. Uh, she, and her chin up in the point, she's going to like Jay Leno Jorah to death, is what that, that panel looks like to me. She's got that, that huge chin, going to Jay Leno <laughs> her to death. Um, just get out, everyone. Evan stay and sends them away. And then Evan and her get to have another little heart to heart. And this is where, again, it works 
in context of how wishy-washy's already been, I mean, we don't expect consistency of Leia at this point, but she starts getting to just that, oh, that frustrating defeatism that doesn't feel much like Leia. You caught yourself, Leia. You were about to tell that ignorant bigot that she's doomed us all, weren't you? Which is kind of true. That would have been me deflecting blame for myself. Not really. I delegated so I could taste adventure. I thought you were doing it because you wanted to save the least of you. <laughs> if I hadn't gone after Tula instead of... Never mind. There's no time for recriminations. Alderanians are about to die. It would be nice if they did so knowing their princess gives a damn. What makes you think that they think you don't give a damn, except maybe the ones who think you're racist on the surface? I must say something. Perhaps I could think of what if things would stop going wrong for two seconds. That is the defining phrase of this series for me because of how completely out of character it sounds to have Leia whining that she figured out what to say but what did the, if things would just stop going wrong for two seconds. But she's channeling oh. her inner uh, Anakin Skywalker. I mean, just as Luke. <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh she, you're right you're right she's going with her genetics we're talking about genetics with the racism she is totally he's holding me back Obi-Wan's jealous if something would start going right for even two seconds oh my god you're right <laughs> maybe he's more true to Leia's character than we give him credit for because he's not only trying to stay true to Leia but to her heritage of being Anakin's child wow dun dun dun, dun. I have, a, I have a whole new perspective on the character now. So insert Evan. You already know what to say, Leia. Have you even noticed that I've stopped addressing you formally? No, ma'am. No, your highness. I did it because you threw everything away for Tula. Not entirely. And didn't you say that if you stopped calling her your highness and stopped being deferential that the culture was lost? So, <laughs> yeah, whatever. That reminded me of all your other sacrifices. And those made me think of your achievements. Uniting survivors, hustling supplies, getting us through the Empire's attacks, incredible work. So it occurred to me that if you could manage all that without any friends, and Leia finishes, imagine having one. I just can't help but hear, so no one told you life was gonna be this way. Cha -cha -cha -cha. And like the music from Friends playing in the background, because it is, again, it's such a, I don't know, it's, it's an overdone moment, and it feels like it should be in a teen CW drama, but... Okay, I mean, it's it's kind of a cool revelation of, wow, you did all this stuff alone. Imagine what you could do with others helping you. But I guess it, with friends. See, I, almost, I almost think there should be a message of this story, and at the end of the story, there should be like a Jerry Springer-type final thought, and then one of those little <laughs> stars flying across goes, The more you know, bing. <laughs> Oh, man. See, okay, these last four panels, or this last page right here, for me, it plays out two ways. Okay, you know, I, I said how it's kind of Leia's story, but I feel like it's Evan's story too. And for this, I feel like this moment, while it seems to be more playing for Leia and kind of giving Leia a chance to pull her head out, I think it's more Evan's coming to realize what Leia actually is. You know, all this time she was like, you know, no, we're not going to be friends. You're pompous little spoiled princess kind of thing. And she's through the sacrifice that Leia made even though, you know, it wasn't much for us, but for her to watch Leia do it at that moment, she was like, you're throwing away everything. This is stupid. And the fact that Leia came through it, it made her realize that, you know, this is what Leia does. And, you know, she's, she's starting to see Leia as we've seen Leia from a new hope, you know, the, the get things done side. And she's kind of like, why are you pity partying? You know, you do incredible things. I, I don't know. For me, it was more like her epiphany and it's the evolving point for Evan's character. 
and it also worked to serve for Leia. But I, for me, I, I saw as we get to this point, this was when I realized, and I think I read it more on my second read through once I knew what was going to happen with Evan's character. But I was like, oh, this is where they're making her become more like what Leia is trying to be as well. This is what's making Evan a good leader because she's understanding Leia and the same you know respect she had for Leia's mother, she now has for Leia. So now when Leia leaves the position of princess or queen of Alderaan and gives it up to Evan, Evan has earned it in a sense. And, and that was the weirdest thing thing for me was as we get to the end of this, that Evan's about to be elected as the new royalty of the leftover people that threw me the hell off. Like I was like, wait, what? Like, are you kidding me? Like, and so then I went back over Evan's character and I started to see her character progress as just a pilot in the rebellion. She's Plur. She is Plur from the X-Wing comics. And I was like, holy cow. Like I didn't, I mean, it was just very subtle in that regard. Like there was this whole character story that was here, but it's not the focus point. We're focused on Leia. And I'm kind of like, you know, that was probably a mistake in the way they marketed this. Yeah, Evan character definitely has a good turning point there, and I think that, again, she has a definite arc. Leia is all over the place, but she definitely has a full arc for herself. But I guess I skipped a page, um, so before we get into the battle itself, um, we do have the moment that Tula comes back in uh, after being rescued and runs towards like, Tace! And her sister's there and has shaved her head. Mm-hmm. Which which either means that there's some symbolic meaning, or she's a pop star and she's just looking for attention. So, well, it's, a, it's the pop star angle, man. She she pulled the brick <laughs> yeah. here, the uh, the Miley Cyrus. It's like you don't shave your hair. I mean, that's a sign that everything's gone to hell. And so it's like your hair. I don't want to be confused for you. I don't want anyone thinking I'm the traitor. Yeah, because your hairstyles were so similar previously. I'm sorry, but I'm back. Now we can be together like old. No, we can't, Tula. It's not going to happen. The Empire is going to murder us all because you gave them our position. Hey, (laughs) hold up. Tace, wait. And Leia and Evan are smiling at each other. And I'm just like, what what the hell just happened? I mean, it makes sense that there would be that animosity or whatever, that anger. She doesn't want anything to do with her sister now. And now the sister's got to find a way to reconcile. But again, you've got almost a porky pig. That's all, folks. Like an iris out moment. Of Leia and Evan just smiling at each other like, uh-huh. I like the fact that Tace is being a to the person we just rescued. That certainly makes it worth it. I'm so glad we're about to die. You know, I'm glad she reminded us of that. Well, and Tace is when she turns and the no, we can't, you know, you gave our position. The expression on the character's face, the way her hands yes. are up. They're just like, they're, her hands are saying, what the is wrong with you and she's i mean that's that is captured well i i mean there are subtle moments like this that are captured and done well that i have a hard time putting this as the worst like it's definitely not as good as the others the other ones are a much better series right now but this one isn't terrible terrible for me like if they were to do things that built off of this later like if Tace and Tula's characters come back in some way or you know we talk more about the Alderanians as as a collective being part of the rebellion now or you know those type of things if those get used at all I think this story can be lifted from you know a low score to a higher score in my overall how does this rank in Star Wars but when you compare it as a whole to everything else like those moments aren't enough to carry it through. <laughs> you know, it's like, it's just, it's, it's like, it, it's the opposite of the analogy I'm going to use. It's like gold that sinks to the bottom, but in this case, it's not gold. It's fool's gold. <laughs> so Leia is going to address everyone. 
And it turns out, by the way, you know, spoiler alert, turns out that the true hero of this entire miniseries is R2-D2, by the way. You know, as he saved them from the rock renders and come up with the whole rock render plan to send them, he's the one that makes Leia's speech actually do any good to save all their lives. So well, Leia gives... The one that sent out the message for all we know? Say what? Couldn't he have been the one that sent out the message for all we know? That he, like, oh, to bring the Alderanians in the first place? He's like, he's like, um, you know, guys, I don't mean to tell you this, but I, I know a thing or two about the internet. And, you know, one thing Alderanians like, it's their porn. So I went to all the websites. <laughs> like, I found the inn, you know, they like that art and all that other stuff. So I went to a couple art sites and dropped a couple signs. <laughs> well, they did do that Star Wars art book years ago that showed a Ala Secura buck naked. You never know. It's, so so that, that could be an Alderanian thing. Maybe it's like the Jedi Path, and it's actually something designed for our universe brought over from theirs, and that's Alderanian porn. Or yeah, Alderanian porn is like the stuff that Itchy was watching during the holiday special, that little virtual reality thing. <laughs> well, I mean, clearly they're good at making sculptures on the fly. I mean, so... <laughs> this is true. This is true. If you can craft sculptures, you can craft anything. Um, so, wow, just totally off the subject. So... Leia is speaking out to the fleet, says, to every Alderanian within the sound of my voice, or the transmission of my voice, because every Alderanian within the sound of her voice is actually, uh, I think in that room it's nobody, from <laughs> what I can tell. To every Alderanian within the sound of my voice, this is Princess Leia Organa. To the newcomers, I would ordinarily be very grateful that you responded to our call for unity. Well, not your call, because you didn't know that they were showing up, but it's figuratively your call for unity. <laughs> But as things stand today, I wish you hadn't come. An Imperial Star Destroyer is heading in this direction and will reach us within minutes. There is no time to escape by standard lanes. No time to attain hyperspace. It wants to kill the last Alderanians. Well, it doesn't. The Imperials aboard does. I don't think the ship wants to kill you. That's kind of like blaming guns for gun violence. Right? <laughs> <laughs> just, or blaming the Confederate flag for what happened in South Carolina. It's, it's, we're going to blame the guns for the gun violence. It's the Star Destroyer's fault that we're going to get blown up. It has nothing to do with those people actually manning the gun consoles or in command. And without the Asperian fleet on our side, can you tell that it's getting late as we're recording this? We've been recording for a while. Uh, and without the Asperian fleet on our side, I'm afraid it has enough firepower to do the job. And meanwhile, as we're seeing this, uh, R2-D2 is linking in with this little probe thing into the computer system, and it winds up being broadcast, at least in part, down to the planet beneath them, which wasn't Leia's initial intent. I just want to say, when she says, you know, there's no time for escape, that panel with her and R2, she's got her hands up. I, you know, these are the panels of Leia. You'll see them off and on her and even Evan. You know, they do a really good job of capturing her, you know, her look uh, when they <laughs> apply that final layer of detail. This is true. This true. And I like the fact that a lot of times they're really good at that. Uh, for all that I don't like this art, the hand positions are very well done. You mentioned a second ago with the whole, like, holding the arms. They're like, like, no, we're going to die. And even stuff like this, or or we see a Beyond Bunnell watching the transmission down on the world, and he's got kind of the finger to his lip, his lips like he's kind of rethinking this. It's, that aspect of the art is well done. It's just that it doesn't feel as refined, I guess, as by far as anything we see in the other series. But it picks up mid in the middle of Leia's last line about, I'm afraid they have enough firepower to do the job. So it says, has enough firepower to do the job, but we will not surrender. We will defend ourselves, but we won't land one blow more than necessary. We are not our enemy. We are Alderaan. We answer rage with wisdom. We answer fear with imagination. We answer war with hope. If one life with a single drop of Alderanian blood survives, Alderaan survives. Uh, uh, 
One drop. That is a key phrase when it comes to race relations. There was a thing in the United States where for years there was a whole issue of in order to be considered African-American, you had to have one drop of African-American blood. And there were times in which you would hear Hitler say about one drop of Jewish blood. This idea that what makes a person a certain race, it's genetics, but that genetics comes down to even the smallest percentage that we're all kind of linked together is the way you can think of it as a unifying thing. But in this case, it's basically Leia flat out saying, look, I don't care if you're half Alderanian, quarter Alderanian, three-fourths Alderanian. I don't care. If you have a drop of Alderanian blood, you are part of us. The exact opposite of what Jorah was implying with her racist attitude toward anyone who wasn't pure Alderanian. Jorah basically is, is Alderanian Hitler. <laughs> Pretty much. So it says, if one life with a passion for Alderanian creativity survives, Alderaan survives. And we are, each of us, important. And whatever happens, I bow to all of you and to our future. Right? Even if they don't have one. And sure enough, as she's saying this, there's explosions happening uh, as the Empire is blasting some of these ships. And then the Star Destroyer takes a hit from what we think may be an Alderanian, but no... To all of our Alderanian sisters and brothers, this is the captain of the Asperion Multi saying, stay back. We've got this. I love the moment. I think we got this kicks me out of the story because it's such a modern slang phrase. But we've got this. And in comes the Asperion fleet to kick butt. Not without me, Captain Leia shouts. And they charge into battle. And I guess this Imperial captain is just straight up delusional. Put it on, you devils. I've got you right where I am then his Star Destroyer freaking explodes. And even while he's saying it, there's fire and smoke all around him. So, yeah, I got you right where I want you. Exactly in the right position to watch me die. You have a good vantage point? Well, I, I think of it kind of like, you know, when you've got two buddies uh, that are going in a system together, you know, and they're like, we're going to work up the ladder. And when we get there, you know, you're going to be number one and I'm going to be number two. And we're going to rock this position, you know, and... Number two, just watched his number one get taken out. And yeah, he's kind of like a carbon copy clone of the first guy. Like that was kind of what I gathered out of this, like, which is probably why he didn't call in for backup and clearly why he was never number one in the first place. Like he just wasn't that bright. You know, he was following the other guy who was a little brighter, but just still not quite the sharpest tool in the shed. You know, <laughs> speaking of not quite the sharpest tool. So we move to a celebration and the celebration is going on in which we find Leia's like, you know, Bion Bino, you know, why did you come to our aid? I mean, I'm glad you did, but what changed? And he says, you know, this is, you gave a message that's exactly what we wanted to hear. It's the droid that sent it out. You know, R2 beamed it out deliberately, and they were so excited to see that R2 stepped in and saved the day, because otherwise they would all be dead. And then Parisi asks, Bion, my friend, aren't you afraid this will bring the Empire down on Asperion? To which he answers... And I'm shaking my head here. You can't see it. I'm just shaking my head at what he says. <laughs> if they want to beat us, they're going to have to come at us with something big enough. Good luck with that. They're the Empire! They can bring some Star Destroyers and level your entire planet by bombarding it from orbit. Yeah, you took out one, but the ball's on this guy. You know, you know what this panel is missing at this moment when he says that, when he says good luck with that, is Leia holding her hand to her face. She should be face palming. Yes, that should be a that face would have been palm. perfect. <laughs> Cuz yeah, that I mean and, that, and or or like a if you only knew kind of thing with a shake of the head as she's face palming because that there needs to be somebody saying, "No, no, no, really. What are you going to do when they come to murder you all?" Seriously. 
congratulations, you're probably all going to get your asses kicked soon. Enjoy. But again, maybe that could be another story of, uh, of Leia trying to pay them back and bringing the Rebels to aid Asperion against the Empire, for all we know. We don't know what seeds are being laid. That's kind of the fun of a new continuity, a new canon. We then get two final scenes. One a regular, the other a montage, because we're going to need a montage to end it, to make a South Park reference here. Turns out that Leia, at least I think it's supposed to be Leia, I'm looking at the top panel on that page where she's trying to leave and looking at Leia's face, and I'm not entirely sure that's Leia. It looks actually more like Glenn from The Walking Dead with Mickey Mouse ears. Because <laughs> um, there's no detail to either of their faces at all. No, but and, whatever. And, and that's the angle's... You know, and I, I thought it was just in the even ones, but it turns out it's it's just any time they're at distances. It's like they're afraid to commit to small characters or something. They clearly are good at it when they do the up close shots, but it's as far away. They're like, eh, you know, well, we can't leave their faces blank at a distance. So we'll just use a couple of quick lines here and there. They're like. They're like, no, you know what? I know who's got small hands. Hey, hey, Jaina, you're only three. Come over here and, and draw a little stick figure smiley face for daddy in this little tiny bubble. <laughs> it's like the, it's, again, to make the South Park reference, I think of the writer or the artist putting this together and, and it's Kyle or it's Cartman or it's Butters doing the stuff for the, the Christmas special or whatever. But then when you get, you get a panel like this, it's Ike going, ba 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 as he's drawing, you know? <laughs> I'm sorry, I, I'm binge-watching South Park at this point, as I'm also catching up on and re-watching all of Battlestar Galactica, so lots of South Park references in my mind. But Leia's leaving. Leia's going back to the Rebellion. She's apparently completed what she set out to complete. Not really, but enough. You can't go. I have to. We'll never be safe as long as the Emperor's in control. I helped start the Rebellion, Evan. I never meant to abandon it forever. Be interesting to see how she helped start the rebellion because, of course, she did that in the Legends continuity. She was a part of the meetings and whatnot that happened in the Force Unleashed, etc., etc. Even though usually it's Bail Organa, not Leia Organa, given the credit for being there, but we haven't seen that happen yet in the new canon. We're seeing that build up with things like Rebels, so it'll be interesting to see her role in that eventually, hopefully. But she never meant to abandon the rebellion forever. Evan, smile, we did it. Our people are together and headed for a new world. That's news. They're not apparently going to Aspira, and they're heading for a new world somewhere that we are just getting introduced here with no name in this panel, but apparently that's how they're giving us the pat ending of where they're all going. The Rebellion can't find a secret planet to go to as a new place to settle down at, with a new base, but Leia apparently already has an idea where they could send the Alderanians where they'll be safe. See, I I guess I took that differently. I saw Esperian as that new world and that the rest of the Alderanians that haven't shown up are still coming. It's kind of like Optimus Prime setting out the call for the Autobots. You can all show up to Earth whenever you want to get to uh, Earth. See, but, it, but no, because the last panel of the issue, I, I thought that too. The last panel of the issue blows that out of the water. They're leaving in the last panel. All of them. So they're not landing on Esperian, apparently. They're going somewhere we don't know yeah you've dang it nate you're blowing <laughs> <laughs> so, does it, that... so what was the whole point of the speech from from round i to, mean to, I, that... to get them to, to to join us and help and it, it was basically a it was they may take our lives but they'll never take our culture <laughs> more or less is basically what she, was, she, is, she expected them all to get wiped out so turned out and said well and who's supposed to lead us there says evan you'd be good they need their princess. So elect one. I endorse you, but make it a fair contest. Though whatever you do, don't let Jorah win. Wow, she sounds like an American politician already, right? <laughs> make it a fair fight, but don't let that person win. 
whatever yeah. you do. Yeah, if they're winning by a fair means, then you go dirty. Like so, so this is the moment that kind of blew my head open. I mean, granted, there is the angle of well, why are we still calling her princess? You know, they need their princess. Well, really, they need their queen, don't they? I mean, they lost their queen. I guess that's why they need their princess to be their queen. But so elect one. Wait, what? Like it was weird enough when Lucas did it with Padme. <laughs> like, but if, but if they elect sense. But if they elect somebody in place of Leia, doesn't that negate calling her princess in the rest of the original trilogy? In the other books? Shouldn't she not be called a princess because that title is now passed to another? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. That's And that's the other angle about this that had me wait, what? Like, n- my mind is blown. I mean, I keep hoping beyond all measure that Evan and her now position, I mean, I'm assuming she's going to become the new queen of Alderaan. But I mean, well, I mean, we see her sitting in a throne in the next page, but mm-hmm. I keep, is she coming back? You know, she's got to be coming back. It's the same thing with Lords of the Sith and Cham Syndulla. You know, it's like, please, God, tell me you guys have a plan for these characters and you're going to bring them back in some form, some fashion in an episode of Rebels or in another comic or in another book. You know, don't just leave these characters for these stories alone. That's the mistake. You know, you know, you're hitting it out of the park with Kanan because we we want to know more about that character. Okay, that works. You know, that story may not work so well if it wasn't a character we already know. Well, now you've got these characters that we know. Put them also in other roles. You know, I mean, don't pull these, you know, the the old days where we bring in Quinlan Voss and recreate Quinlan Voss just to bring him in. You know, use this character. You know, don't bring in some queen from some other place. Use the new queen you've created. Find a way to explain what's going on with Leia. I mean, they did that with Tarkin. You know, the whole reason why they were calling him Grand Moff Tarkin and still governor. They explained that in Tarkin. Great job of doing that. Are we going to get something like that? I mean, those are the things that if we get that, I think it will make this story matter more. And if we don't get it, the story doesn't matter at all. So we get the moment of asking the question that you're wondering, Evan and Leia hug. What if I never see you again? Says Evan. And then Leia and her just kind of hold hands for a second. And I guess this was an interesting moment because it shows us something new about Evan that we didn't know before. I think Evan has some form of birth defect. Because if you look at her hand on Leia's back, it sure looks like her middle finger and her ring finger on that hand. It's like they're mutated and melt together. <laughs> She's a flipper. Oh, yeah, yeah. Some of that, again, it's just the little things on the detail. It's like, yeah. just in one covering of lines here, guys. So then we get our montage to end the story, which is a reuse of Leia's words, part of Leia's words. From the speech she gave earlier. And I'm kind of torn on whether it's cool that they reused it or not. But I think it works well enough. Because you don't have to feel as though this is Leia somehow narrating and looking back on it or something. It can be just an echo of what we heard before. Not wondering what the context is for the rest of the story. We see yeah. Leia and R2 take the Lord Jun back to Yavin 4. You know, we are Alderaan. We answer rage with wisdom. And she steps down from the ship. I guess it's not the Lord and It can't be the whole Lord Jun because there's certainly not enough room. It's like a shuttle, I guess, from it, just not drawn the way their other shuttle was. We answer fear with imagination. And as she steps down from the, the ladder getting out of the ship, she's turned and looking over her shoulder. And presumably this is where she spots Luke and Han and Chewbacca and C-3PO as they've come to welcome her. And she's rejoining them. We answer war with hope. And they're just kind of like, she's got her arms basically around both Luke and Han, and they're walking all, you know, the big three together again, right? And Chewie behind them because the walking carpet can't be in their way. 
We move to another panel and it shows the actual Lord Jun, excuse me for earlier, where on the bridge it's Beyond Bionel, Jorah Astane, Uwa Parisi, and Evan in Leia-style princess clothes in the captain's chair or a throne, looking out into space as the Alderanian ships all around them and the Lord Jun itself go into hyperspace. We are, each of us, important. Alderaan survives. And it's a powerful moment for the ending, the idea that, yes, thanks to some of her efforts, even if it is kind of a pat ending, there is a way, a place for Alderaan to survive even without their planet. It's like the Jewish diaspora coming back together after World War II as the country of Israel is formed at the behest of the United Nations and such. Although you got to wonder if there, there are natives on the planet that are going to and if we're going to see struggles in that sense. Kind of another play on the idea of a diaspora coming home that eventually leads to so much turmoil, for instance, in the Middle East and whatnot. But I had to sit back and sort of chuckle a little bit. We talk about the attention to detail in some of the artwork and not... Okay, the further back you get, the less detail there is. So of course it makes sense that there'll be less detail for C-3PO in the background of the shot with all the heroes in it. But you notice it's like the le the, uh, the colorist, Jordi Belair, was like, screw this, no detail, crap. Did you notice? Not a lot of detail in the back, but they made sure to get C-3PO's silver half-leg, right? <laughs> so, yeah, the colorer, he's doing his job. So yeah, it's sort of a pat ending, it's a quick ending, but it's an ending that puts them back where they need to be. It gives us some interesting and intriguing possibilities for the future if they come back to use it. Again, comparing it to Lords of the Sith, like with Cham Syndulla, if they come back to use him again, it will be worth it. We really don't have a sense yet of whether this is going to be a series that matters in the long run. Hopefully it's not defining for Leia. It's certainly the weakest of Marvel's current lot, but it's canon. It's there. I would recommend reading a summary of this. I would not recommend actually reading this one. And that hurts, because it's the first time I've had to say that about a new canon item. This, to me, is the Marvel Comics new canon, story group canon equivalent of Idiot's Array and the freaking Puffer Pig from Rebels. <laughs> Just, I can't recommend it to anyone. It, it is a tough sell. Uh, you know, the one thing that jumps out to me, I like the way it ends, but, you know, you mentioned the panel ooh, where ooh. it's... I like that it ends. I'm kidding. <laughs> that, that's just me being a facetious jerk. My apologies. Uh, I mean, when Leia shows up at Gavin and Han and Luke meet up with her, the thing that strikes me is, you know, well, what's the sense of time? You know, how long was she gone? How much have they been able to take down? I mean, like Luke and them are still wearing the same things. Like their outfits haven't changed at all. And Luke doesn't look lived in he, he doesn't have like a fin look to his jacket like no it's still nice and pristine it looks like he got his clothes back from evan on the trip like <laughs> that's exactly I, what i was about to say yeah i'm like has it uh, did all this happen in like a one day stretch like were they only gone for six hours like how long were they gone because why are they i mean han's already getting flack for wearing the same outfit forever and now luke's doing the same thing like it just, that was just an odd moment. I'm like, really? You had to put him in the same outfit? Like, you couldn't put Luke in a pilot costume or something? Like, I don't know. That just, that threw me off. It's like clothes in Star Wars are designed like the ones in Back to the Future 2, right? You know, they self-clean, <laughs> they self-size-adjusting fit. Yeah, pretty much. You know, as I said before, I think that whether or not this is a story of merit will depend on what they plan to bring down the road. You know, there are plenty of angles that I could make this story relevant just by other tales down the road. I hope Marvel is thinking like that. 
I have faith in Marvel more in that regard than I did Dark Horse because that's kind of something Marvel tends to do. I don't see this being something that they just leave to dry out and rot away, which I mean, I, I liked it for the most part. It was a pretty good run, but it was the weakest one so far. Although, like I said, I haven't read Lando. I've flipped through it. I didn't really care for its art. So art wise, I would put Lando below this one, but I don't know the story there to compare it. But of the other Marvel stuff, this one's definitely the weakest one so far. And right now, as of this point, as long as this is just feeling like a throwaway story, it is one I wouldn't really recommend. Like if if you only had so much money to buy so many of the new Marvel comic series, this would be the one I'd say go ahead and skip for now. I'm still open to the possibility that they could write other stories that could add relevance to this. Like if they use Evan's character in even a movie plot or a comic or a book or anything like that, you know, then now you have an origin story for her, how she came to be there. That would matter. Or if you have the Alderanian fleet show up somewhere in Rebels or something like that. Well, I guess couldn't be Rebels, really. But, you know, if you had it in somewhere that it would fit with the timeline of things, then again, this would have some more relevance. But right now. There's nothing really relevant to the story. And the fact that Leia was so all over the place that it didn't really feel much like it was her story. It felt more like it was Evan's story. And if Evan's never used again, then it is a total throwaway story. And in that, I cannot say, you know, go out and get this one. So I'm in the same boat as you. I think I'm a little more open to it in general. Like I, I, you know, I feel like you really didn't care for it that much, Nate. <laughs> I, I, I like the fact that it brought the race factor in. I think right now with the internet being the way it is and with most people's Facebook bringing up all these point pictures of, well, if this is offensive, then why do we still have this? And how come the, the Saints still have the Florida Leaf? And how come the Boy Scouts still have the Florida Leaf? You know, I mean, I, I think it was kind of smart to use that as a topic right now, or, or it was just a, a good coincidence that that was a, a focal point without being so in your face. I mean, granted, yeah, at at some points it kind of got in your face, but I think they did a a good job of handling it. It being a delicate topic like it is in general, I think they did a good job of that. Uh, So it does have some merits, you know, and I'm open to those merits expanding if they ever tell more stories that bring relevance to it. Nate, anything else before we get into covers? No, just that I know I'm very harsh on this series just because it, I feel I think we said this plenty of times before with other series. It's the missed opportunity aspect. There are a lot of things up with this series that I don't like and I think were done poorly. But this was supposed to be the shining example of Leia finally getting her own series. Leia finally getting at least a mini-series of her own to really take center stage. And it seems like she's the one done the worst. She's the most inconsistent one. And this is Mark Wade. Doing this, who is so amazing at so many other things, incorruptible, irredeemable, amazing series. And this is what we get of a series from him and the first Leia series and one of the first ones coming from Marvel during this relaunch when the other ones are so strong. Why? Why did it have to turn out like this? To a lot of my frustration, there is heavy disappointment talking because I was really wanting this to be a series that knocked it out of the park, especially given how much we've been talking about diversity and finally having characters who haven't been given their due in their own series, given their due, less represented groups, the idea of more female characters taking center stage. And then this is what we get with the Princess Leia series. It was an absolute downer. And part of that is quality. Part of that is what it could have been versus what it is. Yeah, and on that, I can't disagree at all. You know, I, I, I think there were a lot of high hopes on this series. And this is where I'm really curious what the fellow fangirls out there, uh, what they're thinking of. I mean, 
you know, did it meet your expectations or did it let you down? I mean, I can't speak for you, but I felt like it let you down. Um, I feel like, you know, I, I, in some ways I hate to even say it, but in some ways I feel star Wars volume two did a better job of Leia, uh, than this one in the terms of creating a strong character, which she was strong at times. I don't feel that this was all that it was promised. It didn't deliver as it should have. Now, moving into covers, the first cover is actually the same cover they used for the trade paperback. And I, I, I got to admit, you know, the covers, they were. The covers had me really excited for the series, especially with what we were getting in the other series art. It lined up a lot with that. So I was like, oh, yeah, this is going to be really good stuff. Good fun ride. And it didn't necessarily let me down on the inside. But the first cover, it's got Leia. It looks like she's got an X-Wing smoking behind her. It's kind of got that Brian Woods volume two Star Wars feel. She's got the white outfit. She's got a rebel pilot helmet in her hand, the kind of white look to it. She's got the blaster in the right hand pointed up. And she's, you know, she's got the cute Leia hair. Like, it's it works. Like, I really got a kick out of that cover. When you get to the second cover, it is her and Evan, you know, and, and so far the cover's, they worked. Like, I think the covers are probably one of the best aspects of the series. Uh, they're standing in a doorway. R2 is behind Leia and Evan's behind her in her rebel pilot outfit. She's got a gun in her right hand and she's kind of facing off to the left. And Leia's kind of facing off to the right with a gun in her right hand as they're sweeping into the building. Again, the art on this is just glorious. I really like the lines. Three is another one that's very similar. Kind of has a James Bond look where it looks like there's like a burnt hole in the wall. Or maybe it's supposed to be a wall that's been shot through that you're looking at a close up. But the girls themselves are at a distance. I'm not sure about that aspect, but I like the poses. R2, he's got like his... One of his little uh, photoreceptors is kind of like shining with a, a lens flare going on. And Leia's got the two-handed point looking down. And, of course, Evan's got the one-handed, got the right hand up and carrying the uh, – she's got the classic Han Solo-type blaster. But I like that one as well. Number four, probably my least favorite of them, but not by much. I think it's mainly because Leia's head is so shrunk down. Like, she doesn't quite look as Leia like she normally does. And it's mainly the verticalness of her head that really throws me off there. But I like the picture of the stormtroopers. You've got Evan looking like Luke next to R2, which cracks me up when I see her in that outfit because she's kind of like the X-23. Like, she's a female clone of Luke. Oh, okay. Uh, but I like what's going on with the spaceships in the background and stuff up above and the way that they kind of movie poster like it. Like, I don't know. It's got a magma kind of feel or a magna look to it. And number five is, again, another one that I really dig. It's got that classic legacy with Obi-Wan on Tatooine kind of look to it where Leia's on a planet. It's not Tatooine. Well, maybe it is. There's, there's two planets in the background, but it kind of looks like there's a third flare by the gun pistol uh she's got a cloak kind of wrapping around her and a stormtrooper laying on his back of these it i like every one of them so much it's hard to really put my finger on which one's my favorite i kind of want to lean towards the second one the poses on that one's really fun and i like r2 and i like the way that the characters in the background all look like they were drawn the same some of the other ones it's like the characters have one look but the backgrounds kind of have a darker look or is that one like i don't know everything about it really meshes well what about you nate yeah, I mean, I think that these are an interesting set of covers. There's none that I particularly dislike. I think they're all fairly solid. The first one I think is pretty cool. It's it's kind of that iconic pose. I'm talking about the regular covers, of course. That iconic pose. I do find it interesting that she's got a rebel helmet under her arm, and we never see her actually using a rebel starfighter and wearing a rebel helmet in this, unless that is a purposeful allusion to Brian Wood's Star Wars Volume 2. God, I hope not. Number two, again, pretty cool. We get to see Evan on the cover, finally. Uh, although R2-D2 appears to be much bigger than I ever thought R2-D2 was for some reason, but whatever. Princess Leia number three. 
cool shot with the three of them. It actually kind of fits with what's going on in the story. Princess Leia number four, cool movie poster style, although you could easily be forgiven for thinking that Evan is Luke. And then Princess Leia number five, her shooting the stormtrooper, very cool action pose. Although I do find it interesting. Did you notice the uh, the clothing? Of her, yeah, the, the, the cloak. Well, she's got the cloak for number three and for number two. And for number five, it's the, the Padme-looking outfit with the cloak. But then for four and one, it's still the Padme-looking outfit underneath, but then she's got a vest over top of it instead of the cloak. I find it interesting that they sort of alternated between the costumes and the covers and yet kept the costumes somewhat consistent. It's just those two variants in True. what we see. Yeah, I actually I didn't catch that. And, and it's a good look for the character, like... Mm-hmm. You know, I I think for me, that's like the saddest thing about what's going on with Star Wars canon right now is that we can't get Carrie Fisher wearing these outfits at that young age again. Like we can only get her in the older version. And I don't think that they were. Well, I mean, you know, they talk about they're going to have a Han Solo origin story, but I really don't think they're ever going to have any female actress play a young Leia again in this era. And, you know, I mean, these comics like they make Leia look sexy as hell. That's where he was going with that. I was wondering where he was going with that. I was like, yeah, but they're iconic looks. You can carry those looks in other stories in the artwork. No, he's going for the the sex appeal factor. I Okay, <laughs> I'll take it. It's, it's a good look for the character. In particular, I think that it's it's a nice blending of her style with Padme, so you can really see the mother coming out and the daughter. Now that we know Padme, thanks to the prequels, you can do things like that, things that you never could do prior to 1999, because we didn't have a clue who the mother of Luke and Leia actually was. And now we've seen her, we've seen her styles, we can see those things used in ways reminiscent of her in Leia. And that's always been something I found kind of cool, the generational color scheme. Just like you can see some echoes of what Luke will eventually wear in Jedi, uh, you see some of the precursors of that in Anakin's costume, for instance. Oh yeah, totally. Now that about wraps up this episode of Star Wars Beyond the Films. We'd like to thank you once again for hanging around with us as we ponder on sharing our fandom. Remember, you can always listen to our episodes streaming online on the Star Wars Report website, Second Airborne Division of Podcasts at www.starwarsreport.com. Episodes are also available on Stitcher and on iTunes, which we always encourage you to leave us a review while you're at it. And you can find links to our episodes on both our Twitter and our Facebook pages at SWBeyondFilms. Or just type in Star Wars Beyond the Films in the search bar. Hey, but no matter how you get there, be sure to like our Facebook page. It's one of the best ways to interact with us, our own home one, if you will. Not only can you post comments to us about the show, we love interacting with you fellow fans. So if you have any Star Wars or EU slash Legends questions, or you want to comment about a past episode, fire off. You can always email us directly at swbeyondfilms at starwarsfanworks.com. Now, lastly, before we go, we wanted to mention to you our Audible trial. If you go to www.audibletrial.com slash starwarsreport, you get a free trial run of audible.com to see what they're all about. Our sponsors have more than 100,000 titles. You can explore the Star Wars expanded universe or any other genre without risk of being stuck with a book you flat out hate. Because Audible members, they can exchange any book within 12 months. That's one year with no questions asked. So, in this digital age, if you're thinking of making that switch from the page to the audiobook, Audible just might be right for you. So, once again, for Stars Beyond the Films, this has been Mark and Whistler. And Nathan. 
saying thanks for listening and may the force be with you. And don't quote us the odds that we'll ever see Evan again. Or the odds that Princess Leia will continue to be Princess Leia forever. And Evan won't actually get to be the princess or queen after all. Maybe Leia could be the queen, and then Evan could be the princess, and it could be like a weird like surrogate family type thing, man. Or maybe Evan's the queen now, and Leia's her princess. Like, I just want to forever be a princess. I'm a Disney princess now. Or maybe it's like Lucas coming in with the Clone Wars, and they're just going to randomly change queens or princesses on you for the hell of it. <laughs> Me, mutiny. Rescuing a cloister? A cloister? A clo- it's a cloister. I was gonna say a cloister. A closet. Like, just a closet for it. a handful. <laughs> Orbiting the fiery outer rim pallet. But I find it interesting that this issue jumps ahead from where we actually laughed off. Laugh. Blah, mother. Splendid work, Tula. I marvel at your capacity to manipulate your own sister, even as I steal myself to get back. Splendid Tula. I'm the one editing, so now I get And if you're saying anything... Oh, he's he said be right back, so... Yeah. Well... Nuggets. Right. Basically, they get a warning that there's been this transmission that was relayed, and it came... From the Lord Jun to an Imperial cruiser. And that wait. Uh, excuse me. From uh, sorry, I'm insane again. That's BNL, right? They said they meet a person who's actually from the let me say, uh, let me say it again. <laughs> As she walks past, she basically says, let me find the line here. Where the f is the page come from? Okay. And now my neighbors upstairs are knock, knock, knocking as if they're trying to build something. Or Can you build when you're high? Anyway. They're doing a drum circle. Yeah. Circle something. <laughs> <laughs> but as things stand today, I wish you hadn't come. An Imperial Star... <laughs> I'm sorry, you just brought up the porn thing. I wish you hadn't come. That's said by the person behind every unwanted pregnancy ever. You know what I'm saying? <laughs> I'm sorry, you put it's it in my... <sighs> yeah, that's what she said. Okay. An Imperial Star Destroyer is heading in... I have to say that whole I wish you didn't come thing again. I'm sure I... I it up. <laughs> Wow.